Good morning. Great to be with you again this morning. My name is Glenn Davies, one of the uh, elders here at the Rock Church. I just want to welcome you this morning uh, from wherever you are watching with us online this morning. It is great to be able to open up God's Word with you every Sunday morning, no matter what is going on in our world. If you have your Bibles, please open them up to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 30 today. A remarkable passage. This whole chapter has been amazing. I've been hearing from so many of you about how relevant to today these teachings and parables of Jesus have been to you. I hope today you will find the same thing. I want to preface with a couple of questions this morning, or intro with a couple of questions this morning, just to get our minds into the teaching that Jesus is going to give us today and in this conversation that he has with this rich young man. It's, it's an incredible conversation. First question is this. Has anyone asked you or have you ever asked someone if they're a good person, right? Strange question. Maybe you might think, well, no, but people do ask those, are you a good person? Do you think you're a good person, etc.? I mean, I think the first response that most of us would have, I've had this response, I think I would have this response, it would be something like, yeah, I I mean, I may not be perfect, you know, being humble, uh, uh, but yes, I think overall uh, I'm a pretty good person. I think that's what most of us would say. Most human beings would say that. Most of us would also maybe add a a qualifying statement like, you know, like compared to some other people, right? Okay, that's less than humble, but some people might think that way. We actually saw that a couple of weeks ago. Remember in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Remember that? (laughs) One guy thinking he was really, really good. I mean, how did he pray to God? The Pharisee prayed to God and he prayed this way. He said, dear God, thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust men, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Thought he was pretty good, didn't he? Well, Jesus uh, ended that parable by saying to him, actually, the one of the two of you that's going home today forgiven and justified and saved by God is the tax collector, for he humbled himself. So the truth is, especially, I believe, when it comes to our own self-evaluation of ourselves, We all tend to have a slightly better opinion of ourselves than we ought to, right? Maybe. Can you go there with me? Okay, second question. This is a more challenging question. What is the chink in your armor? What's the one thing that if let or allowed to get out of control in your life could quite literally, quite literally take your life down? could take you down, ruin your ministry if you're in ministry, ruin your marriage, your career, your, your life basically. This is a key question actually that we ask in discipleship or uh, men's accountability relationships and especially amongst pastors who are being discipled and mentored by others. We ask this question all the time of each other uh, and it's, it's actually a question we ask because we want to be able to care for that person appropriately. We want to be able to know what's that one thing? so that we can watch out for it in your life. And if you're willing to, or actually if you're not willing to share with us what that is, that might be a problem too. So I think most of us prefer our our social media self, of course, uh, to what's actually under the hood, right? Uh, Our tendency is to bring to light all of our our good uh, attributes and characteristics, to try to paint this rosy picture of ourselves and make ourselves appear a little bit more attractive than we actually are. And, of course, what we also do is we want to keep some of our less attractive features under the hood, in the dark. We're just not that comfortable, I think, many of us, with being that that transparent with too many people. And in some of our lives, with maybe anyone. Let me encourage you, that's not a good place to be. 
you need to be able to trust someone enough to be able to share those things with them. So when you're first asked that question, I'll just tell you for myself, that, can, that question can take you by surprise. It can really like push you back for a second. But there's also something else that I found, uh, not just with myself, but with others who are that, have been asked that question. It doesn't take very long, maybe just 10 or 15 seconds before you see the light bulb go on and you see people go, oh yeah, I know what that is. I know exactly what that one thing is. And so we really do. I, I want to suggest to you, we, we all really do know what that one thing is, but I'm also pretty certain that not too many of us actually want to share it or have it come to light. Now, for a lot of men, I think most of you know this, but it can be true for women too, but mostly men. For men, that chink in their armor, that one thing that could take them down, is pornography. It's so prevalent in our world today. And that's true in the church, in ministry too. And I've seen that with a lot of young men who I've discipled or mentored who will share, yeah, that's the one thing. I don't do it, but if I did, if I got back into that, it could ruin my ministry and potentially my marriage. For others, it's alcohol or drugs or food, eating, you know, like consumption uh, uh, to extremes, flirtation, little tiny flirtations, money, of course, and therefore materialism and greed, anger, Racism, which comes out of anger, or which one is it, right? Which is obviously a big issue today and can certainly take people down. So I believe, listen, in the life of every individual, every human being, these aren't just chinks, are they? They're not just chinks in our armor, these things that could ruin our lives. Let's call them what they are. They're sin. They're sin, and they separate us from God. So listen, I know Christians, we all know this to be true, but let me just state it again. Without salvation, without faith in Christ alone for forgiveness before God and restoration to a right relationship with God, these chinks, these sins, if unrepented, if they're unforgiven, will lead to our death and eternal separation from all that is good. And all that is good, we're going to learn today, is one thing. In fact, it's one person. And this is the big idea, the point of this whole story. Only one is good. God is good. God alone. Your sermon title for today is The Need to Be Good. We all have it. The Need to Be Good. Now, normally our pattern is I would read the whole passage and then we would pray and, and then go back through it. I'm, I'm going to go a couple of verses at a time through it today because I think as it unfolds, it will uh, unfold for us better. So let me give you the first two verses uh, first. I'll read them and then I want to pray and then we'll dive in. Luke chapter 18, verses 18 and 19. And a ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Let's pray. Our good, good Father, thank you for being all that is good. Thank you for being ultimately good. And thank you for all your goodness that you, you bestow upon us from your creation to the breath in, the, in our lungs and to our heartbeats to one another, 
to this life that you've given to us, yes. But we thank you more than anything for you and for your son, Lord, the Lord Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we just thank you for yourself and for the fact that we, we need you right now. I need you as we look at this wonderful story today. Would you teach us? Would you instruct us? Would you do the work of transformation in our hearts and minds today that we all so desperately need, that I need? I pray these things in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen. If you recall the message from three weeks ago, I spoke about Ravi Zacharias, the great Christian apologist, pastor, preacher who passed away a few weeks ago, and how he had learned from Jesus himself by reading Jesus and, and hearing and watching how Jesus handled questioners, how he himself learned to answer skeptics' questions. He said he said he'd learned essentially two things from Jesus. He said, first, behind every question I learned is this. Of course, there's a questioner, but also that person, that questioner, has a felt need. Besides just an intellectual exchange and an answer to their intellectual question or query, the person is, is behind all of that needing something, something deeper. And so the question itself is not the main issue. But secondly, he learned, as we will see here today, that Jesus often answered a question with a question so that he could get to the heart of that person. And in this case, that question then leads to an assertion. So now then, let's, let's examine the questioner and his question. We're not given his name at all in the story, but he's a real person. This is not a parable of Jesus. He's a real person. Uh, he's most likely either uh, a ruler in the Jewish synagogue or a local civil, civil magistrate. One thing we know for sure is he's rich uh, and that he's Jewish. That we can ascertain from the text we'll see today. Uh, so we know he's in a position of authority. And having heard Jesus preach and teach for a while, this would be the assumption, he waits for his opportunity to ask his important question. We find in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark the same story with slightly different details. And so what we also know about Gospels is, is that when the same story is in all three Gospels, uh, synoptic Gospels, it usually is a sign that this is an important story. But we learn some interesting new details in Matthew and Mark's Gospels, and one of them is that this ruler, that this man is young. So we know from this passage uh, and those that he's rich, and so oftentimes he's given the title the rich young ruler. And so he asks Jesus this question. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so first off, he's, uh, he's calling Jesus or naming Jesus a good teacher. And some people, commentators even, but some people look at that and they go, well, he's just trying to butter Jesus up, right? And get on his good side so that, you know, he'd answer his question or that the answer would be good. But the truth is, and he should have known this as a Jew, um, who keeps the law, as we will see. He should have known this, that it was really breaking with Jewish tradition to call anyone, even a rabbi, good. Why? Because that's what the Bible taught. Jesus is really quoting the Old Testament, that there's none good but God alone. And so he should have known that. He actually should have known that. Now, on the positive note, it appears, or maybe it appears, that he's believing that Jesus just might be the Messiah. Maybe, we don't know, but it, it's possible. But, and sadly, in reality, as we'll see, what really happens here is we're going to see that it reveals the chink in his armor. 
he thinks he's actually pretty good. I think you're going to see that. And, and he's thinking if he's missed something, he just wants to know what that something is so that he doesn't miss out, right? So he doesn't miss the cut. Now, Matthew adds a little detail that I feel is really important, so I want to I show you Matthew's version of this verse because he adds two words which are, are true. Luke didn't think they were pertinent to the way that he was telling the story, but I think they're important, so I want to show them to you. He wrote it this way, recorded it this way. Good teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So this is very interesting, and as we will soon see, as I've suggested already, this man believes that he's good, that he's doing pretty good. And actually, he may want to be trying to prove it to Jesus to gain his acceptance maybe. But if there is, again, this one good deed that he can do to make sure that he, 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 you know, he makes the cut and, and is in the kingdom of God and inherits eternal life, then of course, of course the implication is, I will do that. Really? Well, Jesus then answers with a very probing question. Why do you call me good? <laughs> now, this is not a trick question, but in typical Jesus fashion, as Ravi observed, he's attempting to get behind the question to the heart of the questioner and his real need. Now, Jesus knows what his real need is, but this man doesn't really know what his real need is, but Jesus does, and Jesus wants to, please hear this as we go through this, lead him to it. What is it? Salvation. True salvation. Jesus knows immediately, without knowing this man's heart, that he's believing in a false gospel, a gospel, a gospel that will not lead to salvation. He's believing in a gospel of works, right? See what he did, what he said? He said, what must I do? It's the gospel of works. Now, here's what I sense Jesus understood that we miss or we might miss at first. Behind this man's question is not just a concern that if there is one thing that he still must do to be saved, but also this. He's believing he is good on his own merit. He's a good man based on the law, and therefore he's good with God. So when Jesus asks him this, he's attempting to remind the man about what his Bible teaches him about good and good, uh, God and goodness. And then he adds the assertion, no one is good except God alone. And so that should have gotten his attention, I think. But there's one more thing here that we need to understand that's really important before we continue. Some people think that Jesus here, uh, when they read this, that maybe Jesus is denying that he is good or that he's even God. Nothing could be further from the truth. There's no way that we could possibly read that in the context of all of the Gospels and what Jesus has been teaching about who he is. He's subtly, I believe, doing this. He's asking this man to look me in the eyes, look at me, Jesus, and he's asking this question this way. Do you truly know who I am standing right in front of you when you call me good. He's leading him. He's encouraging him. But then Jesus immediately goes on and says this in verse 20. You know the commandments. Come on. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. 
Jesus basically says to them, come on, open your Bible. You know the answer. You know, you know the answer to these questions. Let's just look at what the Bible says through the law, through the Ten Commandments, uh, about what it means to be good, what you need to do to be good or considered good. And so Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments. And I'm thinking at this point the ruler is thinking that, wow, okay, if that's the test, I'm feeling pretty good about myself right now. <laughs> and, and why do I say that? Well, because he says this. All these I have kept from my youth. I'm in. Could be what he's thinking, right? I mean, he immediately responds with that after Jesus gives him those four commandments. And so he's thinking he might be in. He's thinking, that's it. No more good deeds. Wow, I'm even better than I thought I was. Jesus hasn't added a good deed yet, so, you know... So listen, I truly hope you've been paying attention because Jesus has just said to this man already, only God is good, and his reply seems to be, me too, Jesus. Oh boy. So now in you and I also, uh, listen, we know this. How, we know how Jesus unpacked in the Sermon on the Mount earlier, and, and I'm wondering, was this, this young ruler there when Jesus preached the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount? I, I think he probably was. But in the Sermon on the Mount, how Jesus pointed out that even if you looked at a woman with lust in your eyes, you'd committed adultery. I mean, Jesus expanded on it and just wanted to make sure they understood that, guys, it's not just the simple act, it's the thinking about the act. It's your heart. It's not just the action, it's the thought. And Jesus also said to them, listen, if you've ever really been angry with a brother or a sister, uh, really, really angry, then you've committed murder. <laughs> I wonder if you heard that sermon. I'm wondering if you heard that sermon. And so here's what this young man has done, literally what he's done. Now, he may not have realized this, but we need to see this. What he's done is he's actually broken the first commandment. And you know what the first commandment is, right? You shall not have any other gods before me, small g. This young man has elevated himself to God. He's as good as God. I've done all these things. I'm in, right? Because I'm good. I've accomplished it. That's what he's believing. He's believing this false gospel of works which suggests, suggests that we can work our way up to God's acceptance and approval and, and, and to the equal level of goodness of God and listen by our own effort. We can literally save ourselves. No, we can't. No, we can't. And that's good news. So look, Jesus gave him actually five of the ten uh, commandments, and he's passed the test, right? Or he thinks so, maybe. He might have thought so, but no, the test is actually not over. What's interesting is which of the ten commandments Jesus chose to give him. I mean, there's ten, right? Jesus could have tested them on any of the ten, but it's interesting which ten. He, back in Luke 10, we, we read about Luke chapter 10, uh, we read about a lawyer who asked Jesus this exact same question. He asked the question, how do I inherit eternal life? And then Jesus asked a question of him. Remember what that question was? It was a different question. He asked him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, this man was a lawyer, a man who was supposed to know the law. And so he said to this man, what's written in the law? And, then, and, and how do you read it? Like he's having a genuine conversation with this man. And the lawyer answered, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and with all, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, good for you. You answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But that's not a simple answer, is it? No. Jesus is saying, yes, fine. Go and keep the law perfectly and you're in. You'll inherit eternal life. Now, that man should have known, but you and I must know that is impossible. Important word in our passage today. It's impossible. But listen, for you and for me. That's good news again. That's really good news. So here's what's interesting about this ruler and his question. Jesus doesn't wait for his answer to his question about why he calls himself or Jesus good, does he? But immediately after the assertion that there is no one good but God alone, he then quotes those commandments that are about, listen, the love of your neighbor, right? I hope you can see that. The first four of the Ten Commandments are all about loving the Lord our God with all our hearts, mind, body, and soul. It's, it's about the vertical loving, the loving of God. The, the next set of commandments, the last six, are about loving our neighbor. And so this, this, this guy got it right, but I want to suggest to you that about this ruler in our text today, I want to suggest to you this. This teaches us or shows us that this guy's a, so, a social justice champion. You think I'm stretching it too far? Because of current? I, I'm not so sure. Stick with me here. It's about love of neighbor. And of course, this, this man is, is, how do you love your neighbor? Well, like this man, we don't sleep around with someone who isn't our wife or our husband. Uh, and, or with our neighbor's husband or wife. We certainly don't murder or steal uh, and, or tell lies about our neighbors, right? And we're respectable our parents and, for that matter, all of our elders. And so far then, we see that there are four things, listen, he does not do, that's important, and one thing that he does do, honor his mother and father. So that's a key. At this point, I, I believe at this point in the text, in the story, we arrive at the crucible, uh, the most important point in the conversation between this man and Jesus, and I think it's also the most important point for you and I here today. Jesus is now going to reveal to this man the chink in his armor. It could be yours. It could be any of ours. He has many chinks, as do we all, but this is the one chink in his armor that will quite literally keep him, will quite literally keep him from eternal life from being saved, as we will sadly see. And Jesus knows what it is. And so I wonder before I reveal it to you or before you read ahead or if you remember this story, if you've noticed what Jesus has done or, more importantly, what he's omitted, right? I truly love it. I love this about this particular point is that what Jesus has done, and as I said, he knows what his felt need, his most important need is, and it's salvation, and he's trying to lead him to it. And it's just beautiful the way Jesus does that in everyone's lives and specifically in this young man's. So question, how many commandments are there again? There's 10, right? Good answer. But you see what Jesus did, right? He stopped at the ninth commandment. And I'm wondering if the rich young ruler didn't 
simply go, whew, glad he stopped there. Why do I say that? Well, verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, there's one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. When Jesus heard what? Well, when he heard, all these things I have kept from my youth, look at me, I'm good. And what then is the 10th commandment? In short, you shall not covet. What? Well, anything that belongs to your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. And we find that in Exodus 20:17. So that is his chink right there. And, and, it, and it goes by another word. It, it, it's covetousness, but it goes by another word. It's an idol in this man's life. And that's what chinks are. They're idols in our lives. His idol is money, right? It's money. Jesus told another rich young man in Luke chapter 12 what that really looked like. Remember that? We went through it in Luke 12. It's amazing how these are all lining up. He, he, he was called the rich young ruler, and, and he, he came to know, right? Jesus told him, as, as he became known, Jesus told him this, and he warned him about this. He said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so the Greek word for covetousness, we learned, is the word pleonexia, which is the opposite of a word you all know, the word anorexia, right? A disease that's pretty prevalent among mostly young women, which literally means, pleonexia means more than enough. Covetousness then means an insatiable desire for more than enough, more than you need, essentially this, greed. And one of the features of greed is, I'm not sharing it with anybody. It's mine. It's my idol. It's pretty sad. And so, what do you think his response was? Well, you can see if you've got your Bibles open. Verse 23, but when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This was too much for him. It was too much of Jesus to demand of him. And friends, listen, this is exactly where most people in our world today get with Jesus. It's as far as they get. At some point when he, he confronts their chink, their sin, especially that one thing that they feel they cannot live without, when they find Jesus' demands on our lives are just too great, too great a cost, I'm out. That's just too much. I want, need, love these things way more than what I think he can provide for me. It's terribly sad, isn't it? It's terribly sad when people don't understand the cost there was to Jesus <laughs> to be able to give you eternal life and hear this, actually transform you into a good person. It's tragic. So listen, I want to also suggest this to you. This young ruler, this rich young man, he knew all along that he was not good enough. Didn't he? He did. Of course he did. And so does everyone who tries so hard to look so good. That's what we do. We put on a good show. We just have to make ourselves look good. And it's based on our own merit. Why? Because we know in our heart of hearts we're just 
not good enough. He knew it. Most sermons on this text focus on money, that the big idea is the love of money. And I agree that that's a big idea for sure. It is about that. But I actually hope you see that it's about much, much more. It's about his real need, salvation. It's about salvation and what it looks like. And also this, what the fruit is in a person's life who is truly saved. And that, my friends, is totally dependent on which gospel you've trusted in. You see, it's obvious this man believed in the gospel of works, but I wonder, I wonder what would have happened in his life if he'd heard a prosperity gospel preached, right? Probably the same thing because he was rich and he loved his money, right? But he might have heard that. You all, you all know how that one goes, right? It's really prevalent in the church in North America today. You know, come to Jesus, and he will make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. You'll never get sick. He will heal you all the time. And he will, you know, all you got to do is put, you know, make a, make a love offering, large lo- the larger the better, into the jar, mail in your check, and, and hallelujah, God will expand your wallet. Okay, that was my best impersonation. I know it wasn't very good of late night TV, but that's what that gospel is all about. But also, listen, how about this? I suggest to you we see in this rich, young ruler an odd mix of the gospel of works and a social justice gospel. As we've seen, Jesus has highlighted from the Ten Commandments those that speak about how we are to love our neighbor. But here's what was clearly not in this man's heart and frankly, is not in a lot of hearts of many, even today, who champion social justice. I wonder, do you see it? He missed the heart of the law. He missed the heart of the law, thinking that the letter of the law was what would save him. And so what do I mean? He thought what made him good, and therefore just before God and man, was what he did not do to his and for his neighbors. He didn't sleep with his neighbor's wife. He didn't murder people. He didn't steal from his neighbors. And as far as he was concerned, that's all that was required. When Jesus pointed to his money, I believe he was showing him and us the heart and the true fruit of a life that has been forgiven, saved, and in the kingdom of God even now. The heart that goes, listen, to those who are poor, who are wicked, who are oppressed, and listen, they give of themselves and the resources, their money, to lift them up, to provide for them, and to truly love their neighbor. Listen, today, it's, it, with social media, it's so much easier to do just what this man did. Talk the talk, pick up a megaphone, get on social media soapbox. And apparently advocate and show everyone how much you care. But wait, go downtown into the east side of Vancouver, into the back alleys where men and women are shooting up with fentanyl. And oh yes, COVID-19. And uh, okay, maybe I'm too afraid to do that. But to give your money to Union Gospel Mission so they will at least go and do that because they are going to do that. That's asking too much. That's asking too much. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. 
The saying is very misunderstood often. Uh, the question is, is Jesus saying that no one who is wealthy can enter the kingdom? No, obviously not. He's not saying that at all. Joseph of, of Arimathea, who will later on in the gospel, he will you know, provide a tomb for Jesus to be buried in, was a very wealthy man. He was born again. He trusted Jesus. He is in heaven today. The last time I checked, King Solomon, the richest man of all time, King David, another very wealthy ruler, is in heaven with God today. So that's not the issue at all. It's not that at all. This is actually a metaphor in a, in, a, in a way. It's a simile, a metaphor. And it's something like this. It's a little sort of like, you know, a snowball's chance in hell. Okay? It's the best I could come up with on short notice. It, it's like Jesus is saying, look, for many, many, many people, the chink in your armor, the thing that's going to keep you is greed. It's money. It's going to be that hard for many people. Well, those who heard this said, then who can be saved? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Those in that day echoed what many will say today, even maybe some of you watching or listening. Most of them in that day believed in the gospel of works, and they also believed that being, being wealthy was a sign that God was blessing you, that God thought you were good, that you were doing good. But the lesson from this story is this. The true gospel is this, that as usual, Jesus, and he presents it so simply, is this. What's impossible? It's impossible to save yourself, to save ourselves, to do enough good deeds to get over the bar, earn our salvation, and earn eternal life. Okay, I'm going to say hallelujah to that one. Thank you. That's good news. But the good news is that Jesus has and is doing the impossible all the time. He came and lived the perfect good life that he could not live, died the death that we deserve, but he certainly didn't, and then accomplished the truly impossible by rising from the dead of victorious over sin, death, and evil. And listen, he's doing the impossible right now in the power of the Holy Spirit by transforming your heart and the hearts of other people and transferring, transforming them in his power into people who do good deeds. People who do good deeds. Well, Peter was present on this day, and then Peter said, See, Lord, we have left our homes and followed you. I love Peter. I truly do. Who else among the apostles would come up with this after this great teaching by Jesus by saying, Hey, Jesus, look at how good we've been. <laughs> right? I mean, we've given up a lot, Jesus, to follow you, and, you know, well, let's be fair. We do this too sometimes and maybe all the time. That might be something for you to unpack in Missional Community Group, but we need to move on with the final words of this story. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. About these verses, I love what one commentator said. He said, I like Jesus' math. I do too. 
This is a promise from Jesus. It's not a promise to make you wealthy. It's a promise that there is nothing in this world, nothing in this world that you could walk away from, give up that will not be worth salvation, eternal life, and the inheritance that He has provided for you. Nothing will even come close to that. You can't even do the math on that. It's impossible. So let me conclude by asking this question again today a little differently. What is the chink in your armor? What's the chink in your armor? If you're not a believer in Jesus yet, what is it that he's demanding of you right now or has been demanding of you that you think is just too much? Let me encourage you. Your idol will fail you. Jesus never will. He'll never fail you. Trust him today. Christian, exact same question. If you're not in an accountability discipleship relationship with another brother brother or sister in Christ whom you trust with your darkest secrets, you need to be in one. Come on. You need to be in one. Because together with Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can and will be saved from the very power of sin over you in this life. It's for your good. And it will lead you and I, all of us, as as the church, to go and truly love our neighbors as ourselves. Would that be a good thing today, church? Rock Church? Yes, it would. Pray with me, would you? Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good. You alone are good. Thank you for being so good to us. Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray today for all of us, myself especially, but for all of us, that we would appreciate how good you are, and that only you are good. Any good thing that we do is not coming from us. It's coming from you. So, Lord, would you, would you give us the power and the strength to do more good deeds, your good deeds? Well, Father, as we look around today, as we think about all of the, just the tragic things that are going on in our world, many of us feel... Many of us feel hopeless, like, like we are losing heart, as Lord Jesus, you taught in the first parable in, Acts, in Luke chapter 18. But we don't want to lose heart. We know that you care about all of these people who are being oppressed, who are being murdered, who are being hurt. Would you, Lord, would you teach us in our own Jerusalem, first of all, in our own backyard, first of all, show us, Lord, who they are. Bring them to us. Show us who they are. Cause us to go to them as a church. Lord, I pray that you would do that for me and for all of us at the Rock Church. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.